Hey writers, welcome to this special episode of the Working Writer Podcast. So why is it special? It's special because it's not an interview. It's not planned. I didn't see this coming or I would have done a lot of things differently. Um, but I have a little career shift to make and a little career announcement to make. And it's tiny um, in the big scope of things. But it's something I thought, you know, I bet there are other writers out here who are going to relate to what um, this is and why this happened. And I'm going to share about it. Um, I've been working on my writing career in earnest, I would say, for about seven years. When my kids became tweens and teens, a very wise woman said to me, honey, get you some interests that have nothing to do with your children. Um, because when they leave, you're going to need to have something in your life that's not about your kids. And writing was intuitive and already kind of underway. I was doing it as a career already. Um, and I wanted to be a novelist and I wanted to be a fiction writer. I didn't really think about being a memoirist. I already was a very prolific blogger and memoir came naturally to me. Um, but I was like, you know, this is what I want to do. I want to, I want to write a novel. And so seven or eight years ago, I started, um, I started this novel about these travelers. It was based, I was inspired off of a, um, a Kindle ad campaign got really excited about it, worked really hard on this project and did it in addition to my day job. And, you know, life, we had some very busy, busy, busy um, teenage years. That's how it works when you have four kids and they're spaced the way my children were spaced. And they were very, very active years. There was a year, there was three years where I had four kids in four schools um, and a full-time on-site job. And so we did lots of, spent lots of time in the car and worked hard, stayed up late, did all the things. And I always knew that as my kids got older um, and started to launch that I would shift my hobby time, whatever, whatever little, mid little bit existed when I was actively parenting, I would shift that time to writing. So I've noticed I've just started deep diving into this story without really telling you what the announcement is. And I think I'm just going to go with it. I'm just going to let this little interlude of an episode in my in my little scheme I have this like you know I have a spreadsheets and I have this planned and I have all those working writer episodes um, already pre-recorded and I'm sneaking this one in here because it's really important to me and I'm not going to overthink it I'm just going to keep going so I'm going to pick up where I left off what I have to do here if I'm going to tell you the way the backstory of how of how I am where I am today the backstory of how I got here I have to tell you a little bit about how the whole process evolved. I spent a couple years, maybe a year and a half or so on this writing project. And I was, I, I love it. I still love these characters so much. Um, I had a really inventive approach to it. It had a backwards timeline, very complicated. And you know what? It was too hard for this person who had never plotted a novel before. Um, and so the manuscript was crap. <laughs> it was crap. And I got to a place where I was like, this means enough to me to start investing more than time into it. And so I'm going to get a coach. So I heard my first writing coach. Now, if you've listened to my episode with Jamie Morris, you've heard parts of this story before. 
because my first writing coach was a flop. And it was a good lesson that when you need a professional, and this is true whether you need a sponsor for something or a therapist, doctor, you may not always make the best match first and it may take some time. And the same thing is true for writing coaches. I didn't know this. I had to learn from experience. Um, I had a pretty thick skin, not as thick as it needs to be. Writers need to have very thick skins. Um, Mine is thicker now than it was then. Um, But it wasn't also nothing at the time. Um, What happened is very shortly into that working relationship, she got fed up with my work. And rather than just say, hey, you know, I don't think I'm the best fit for you. um, It went really south fast. She got very insulting. (laughs) And it was kind of devastating. So after that experience, I had to lick my wounds and kind of think objectively about it. It took me some time to figure that out and recover. Um, I kept writing. I was working on blogs. I was working on short stories and I started entering contests and I would come back to this project. I started a whole different novel and I would come back and come back and come back and always under my regular name and always in addition to parenting and my job the non-writing world and maybe even some beginning writers think that this is a pretty easy process and maybe the hardest part is coming up with a good story or writing the damn thing and then you put it out there you either self-publish it or you get an agent you get traditionally published and success comes to you finds you and it's actually not like that at all that would be like calling a day hike um, calling Everest a day hike. It's it's just not like that. Um, every once in a while, that magic will strike. Somebody will come up with a great first idea. They will have a pretty seamless time writing it. And, you know, J.K. Rowling's happen. They, they happen. You get these massive contracts from the slush pile, and it turns into this multi-billion dollar um, <laughs> enterprise. For the majority, the vast, vast, vast majority of writers, nothing like that happens. Um, And so I was learning that I was starting to like get into the world and figure out like pretty quickly, I needed writing friends, I needed writing feedback, I needed to thicken my skin, I needed a coach who could understand me, Uh, I needed to learn how to plot a novel, because I didn't really know. Um, And there are a lot, there are so many tools out there, there's so many books and coaches and methods and software programs. And you can really, like any other hobby, you can spend a lot of time talking about it. You can spend a lot of atmosphere geeking out about it um, and it all takes away from the time spent actually doing it. So I hired my second coach with the request of please help me finish a project because here's what can't happen. You can't have any publishing success if you don't have finished work and I was had great ideas. I was learning a lot about process. I had working drafts. I had shitty first drafts. I had second, third, and fourth drafts, but I didn't have completed projects that I could then submit or show the world. So she got going on that. We worked through plot structure and writing practices and writing life and what feeds your writing life. Spent a lot of time together doing that. We worked on um, a YA novel that I had underway Um, got it about 90% of the way and 
as writing coaches will do, they discover your psychology and what's going on in the background. And what was going on in the background for me was my memoir, needing very much to come out of me, come out of me and be shared. And for this story that I know so many other women are going to be able to relate to and maybe gain something from, it needed to get out of my head and out onto the page and out into the world. And that process is a long one. And it has many, many twists and turns and discoveries along the way. So we got to work. And in 2019, I banged it out. It just completely poured out of me onto the page. I had two weeks. Each week was, um, they were a month apart. These two weeks were a month apart. 60,000 word weeks. Um, They were utterly draining and exhausting. But when you're not making up the story, and it's just your life, <laughs> then it, it, you know, it pours out, or it can pour out, and it did for me. And I, I ended up with this ginormous draft that I was framing as a novel. Memoir is exposing, it's difficult, it's confrontational. You're probably talking about a difficult subject that's not easy to explore. Um, you have to get it out of your own. Like you can't just describe, good memoir doesn't just, you know, describe what bad thing happened to you. You have to pull out of it something that's more universal, that something can be related to by other people. Um, Otherwise, it's not, why are you adding to like, no one, no one wants a volume of, you know, when this happened and this happened and this happened in the end. So many drafts (laughs) and I had it, I had it structured as an autobiographical novel. So there are some pretty cool autobiographical novels out there. Um, classics that I don't, I don't, um, I'm not saying I'm on the same page with. Uh, Maya Angelou's work was autobiographical at fiction. Um, I think Outline by Rachel Cusk. There's, there's titles out there. It's a small subgenre, and I think it's growing right now. Autobiographical fiction is growing. Um, I found shelter in that category for a while. It gave me um, a distance from my story that helped me write. I thought it was going to offer a layer of privacy um, about certain subjects or characters that I wanted to shield and offer another layer of privacy to. Um And so for a good year, that's what it was. Um, I did a full round of agent queries with it as an autobiographical novel and didn't get any bites. I got some great rejections. And then let me tell you, when you're doing the agent query process, a rejection is meaningful because it means someone took the time to respond to all the hard work that you did. Um, I, I skipped over it, but the stage where you're discovering how to write a book proposal and synopsis and character lists and all the things that has to go into your agent packet is a whole nother learning step that that takes a whole season of figuring out how to do those things how to make them format them correctly and the mechanics of publication took months and months and then you put all these letters out there and you don't hear anything back and they just ghost you and it's because purportedly it's because they're maxed out and their slush piles are huge and I'm I I believe that's true but it's disheartening to not hear anything back after all that work so I really cherished my rejections because it meant some human being was like hey I hear you I see you I have to pass on your project here's why and I got some nice guidance from those letters when I hit the wall of no response from the queries 
I did what I do. I went and hired a professional to find out why. And I hired a well-known consultant and sent her my work. And her immediate feedback was very concise. It can't be autobiographical fiction in this case. It's too hard for a publisher to know how to sell. Are they selling memoir or are they selling a novel? And if they can't tell, they pass immediately. And that's, I think, what happened. I really believe that was very good advice I got. Um, her recommendation at the time was to split my name. I, I wanted this privacy. I wanted to have this like shield still there. Um, make it memoir so that it's one thing. Make it memoir. Solid. This is what I'm selling. Um, but put it under a different name. So I did that. I real quick came up with a pen name. Actually, my children named me, which was so meaningful. Uh, my son came up with the, the suggestion. He goes, here's a, it's a combination of some family names and my own name. And, and it felt like I was naming myself, you know, like this wasn't um, a married name that I, you know, married into. It wasn't my parents. That wasn't the, the name they gave me. It was this thing that was my very own. And the poetry of that being for my story, I leaned into that hard. It felt, it felt good. It resonated. It sounded good. Um, and so I quickly realized, oh no, I don't have any work. I don't have any digital footprint for this new name. So I had spent that previous seven years building, building what they call your author platform. I had a website, I had my social platforms. I had been talking in my genre, connecting with other people who are in the same category and subject matter. And all of a sudden I'm this new person that doesn't exist. Like she's literally, it's a made up name. And I had to create a body of work. So I got to work really fast at that. I duplicated my social platforms. I built a new website. I entered all the writing contests in the new name. And my friends, I started this podcast in my pen name in part to help expand the digital footprint of Tia Lindstrom. God, what freedom. It felt so good. I had really strong clarity in my writing for my memoir, the editing, the pace picked up so fast, um, branding and talking points, everything came together really quickly. It felt good. It felt clear. And I found myself bifurcating over these two flavors, two sides of the same coin. I'm the same Tia. I had my real name which is my professional name. I use it on LinkedIn. It's what all my employers know me as. Um, everybody who knows me personally knows me as that name. They know that I'm writing. They like to read my work. They, they know that name. And then I had this other, um, all my serious topics were in this other name, my feminism, my politics, my big redheaded opinions, religious trauma, um, everything that comes with trauma and domestic violence and healing and these darker, more serious subjects. And so I now had these two containers and I, and I called them Tia Light and Tia Dark. And it felt like, okay, if I'm not somebody, somebody wants to follow my account, but they don't really like my subject matter because it gets under their skin or something, I could just say, oh, don't worry about that. You might resonate more with these other projects. Come over here to this other name and you'll be happy there. And it was working. People, that, that, that happened many times. People were like, oh, yeah, I, I like this subject matter better than that other subject matter. So I'll follow this account instead of that one. 
lots of people followed both of them. Um, and I thought I had a good thing going for a long time. So I sent out a whole nother round of query letters and did all the work again of a packet and sat and waited and months passed and guess what? <laughs> Didn't hear anything back. So what happens when you, or when I, like the, from what I'm learning from experience, when I hit these barricades, these like blockers in my progress, I have to take a hard look at what what's wrong. Something's wrong. It isn't the subject matter. This book has been on fire for 15 years. It's wanted. I named it. I named it back in 2005. I knew what I was living was something that other people would be interested in hearing. The story does kind of sell itself. There is something in my delivery that's holding it back and I need to know what that is. At the same time, I still want a writing career. I want to write fiction, magical realism, my YA story, um, getting into a little horror and religious horror and yeesh, you know, this double branding thing really serves there because one of the things that happens when you latch on to a new favorite writer is that you want to read more by that writer and you want it to be kind of similar to what you just read and publishers know this and so they want to know what else you're working on and they want it to be kind of in keeping with the thing they just accepted and sometimes I've heard, I haven't experienced this yet firsthand, but I've heard sometimes a publisher won't accept you unless you have more work similar to what you are have offered because they want to know that you're bankable for more than one project. So I had these two names and I had my work divided by category and by brand and it felt pretty good at first. Um, it felt clear. It felt clear as far as creative projects went. So let's look at what I had at this point. I had two clear brands, a really strong manuscript, a very, um, I don't know what to call it. It was very thorough. <laughs> My agent packet is very thorough. Um, I have a great query letter that I, again, had professional help with. It's fantastic. Um, so what's holding back? Where's the success blocker? There clearly is one. So one of the things you do in your agent packet is you submit the first 20 to 50 pages and I knew there's a problem. There's somewhere there's a problem in their writing. I'm a strong writer. Um, people, people like my writing. They latch onto it very quickly. My beta readers had loved the story. They'd been absorbed very quickly. But there's something wrong and you can't stay when, when there is something wrong, you can't stay in that ego space where, but other people are telling me they like it. It's no good if it's not moving forward and it's not working for the people that you needed to work for in order to get through the next step. And there are so many gatekeepers in this process, even in self-publishing. Um, you have to, you have to be open enough and soft enough to say, okay, what's broken. So I did again, hire another great professional. So why not the first coach? Coaches are like anything else. There's there, they have specialties. My first coach does a really great job with plot doctoring and teaching, and that's really where her passion and strength lies, and that's what she wants to do. Um, she wasn't that interested, I don't think, at the rest of this. She's interested in me and my work and my success, but the needs of this project, they just weren't that comfortable of a fit, and so she's busy. <laughs> like, why she could go do all these projects that she loves, or she could toil over mine just from like personal loyalty. Nah, go find somebody who's like 
a specialist. You need a neurologist, get a neurologist. Um, when you want a gynecologist, you get a gynecologist. And when you need somebody for your gastro tummy, you go get your gastro tummy. It's, it's similar, you know, specialties. So I needed somebody who really focused on trauma and memoir and publishing. And thankfully, I found her. I can tell you, dear listener, um, oh, that brought up an old memory. Isn't there a advice column or something that was like gentle reader? I don't know why I thought about that so randomly. But anyway, um, geez, where was I squirrel (laughs) in this story? In this process, it was, there's ups and downs. There's a lot of emotional ups and downs. And, um, at this point in this, in the process, I was, um, feeling really discouraged that this was going to really fly. I was feeling, I still want it to be my debut project. So it holds me back on my other things that I might want to do. Um, I was still entering contests, which I love. I love writing contests, but I was feeling really down and I wasn't sure how to fix this. And at some point the financial investment of all the professionals starts to rack up and you're like, what if this never flies? So many good writers, they never fly. And, and I thought about self-publishing, which is totally viable for me. I'm, I've professionally helped other authors self-publish. I know how to do the mechanics and, and produce a really professional looking product. Um, but it's my story. And I didn't, I just had this snag of, I really believe in, the power of it and I really want the wider distribution of a traditional publishing route um, and I wasn't ready to give up on that I also wasn't ready to send it out into the world without someone professionally reading the the whole of it which I had not had yet I'd had beta readers but I hadn't had a knowledgeable doctor book doctor kind of person look at the entire manuscript um, d- developmental editing of your whole book is expensive um, it's not something to take lightly and it's really important to find the right person to do it. Um, so that leads me to my new coach. She's a trauma informed memoir coach. Exactly what I needed. My book is traumatic. <laughs> my story is traumatic and my book's memoir and she's even perfectly poised to, um, guide me through the next step. And her first feedback, her very first feedback was, you know, you could be promoting this through bylines. And this is where if I had like the sound of a record scratch, maybe I'll look at my sound library for it. We hit a big snag, a huge snag, massive snag. The point for this whole conversation that I'm having with you is, is this snag. Big publications, the big ones, the New York Times, the Washington Post, um, Harper's, all the, the big, the big ones that the people, writers dream of getting into. Um, number one, she thought my story is worth trying to get into those publications. And number two, they don't take pseudonyms. You can't use a pseudonym. You have to use your real name. You can't change the names of your characters. You can refer to them. There's some like ways to get around that if you're you know, like, you know, need to obscure someone's name but not your own. It has to be in your own name. And that was a very sobering moment. I had just spent, oh, you know, better part of a year making Tia Lindstrom up 
using my pen name, which authors do all the time. Fiction writers don't um, maybe have that same burden because they're not, they're not going to write bylines, you know, in a pseudonym. Um, people use pen names and, and they work for them for, for certain outlets. But for, for memoir, a pen name is a bad name. It's a limitation. And if I really needed it, like for some compelling, um, I don't know if I really truly needed it for some compelling reason, then I could do it at the expense of how far my book could go. Um, but my coach didn't feel like I need to put that limitation on it just yet. And there was a parallel emotional thing happening in this process because I realized she believes in it. She believes in the quality of it and the legs of it and um, my, my talent and skill and the ability of the story to, to strive for that level of success. I had a decision to make. I had to decide, am I, am I going to kind of stay in my shield with my pen name or am I going to like try, just try for the best I can try for. I don't know if I'll make it, but I know what, I know how I won't make it <laughs> for sure. <laughs> if I if I keep holding on to my pseudonym, those options are not even open to me at all. Um, so it's taken me a couple months to get my head around this. But, and I had, I had some gatekeepers of my own in my family and things to talk about to make sure that it was truly okay. Um, I've decided to stick to my legal name for my story. Like choosing a pen name, going back against my pen name, back to my legal name, entails a ton of work. I have to streamline my website. I have to redesign my website and integrate these two things. Um, You've got platforms to change back. I have columns that I've written and bylines that I've written in the pen name for smaller publications that I need to like go back and change if possible. It's not possible everywhere. Um, and I have graphics, you know, like there's a there's a superficial high level part of me that's like, ooh, I've got the other name all over like graphics I don't want to take down and change. I had that problem when I switched to the pen name and I did take some things down and I, it felt icky, you know, and, but as I sat in this space, I realized I didn't like having Tia Light and Tia Dark. I want to own my own story and be my own person, have my autonomy, which has been denied me for most of my life. I grew up in restrictive and uh, religious tradition. I married into an even more strict religious tradition, ended up in a cult. Autonomy is a really big issue for me, and it's a big driver behind the book. This is my story. I'm telling it in my voice, and I'm going to use my name on it. That's what feels authentic. I don't want to have two brands so that people can pick the most pleasing side of me. I am who I am, and they can take or leave me. I'm not for everybody. I get that. No, no biggie. No worries. If I'm not for you, that's cool. But I like, I'm an and person. I'm going to be religious trauma and magical realism because I like it. I'm going to be, I don't know, vegetables and beef because I like, I like an omnivore diet. I'm going to be political and poetic because I'm both. And I'm not going to apologize for it anymore. I'm not going to hide behind it and limit myself and limit my career by trying to be palatable to audiences that don't even, they don't even know my work yet because I don't really have that much of it out. So this is me just bearing it all. I'm just going to, you know, share because I, 
as a writer would have picked up this podcast and listened to somebody somebody's process somebody's like yes please tell me behind the scenes what it looks like to get a book ready for publication tell me some of the snags and blockers you hit along the way sign me up I'm definitely listening to that one um so just going to be open and transparent having a pen name was a fun experiment but it didn't work and it's going to limit my success and I'm not down for that I'm not doing this to play like maybe if this was like a I don't know I'm going to say this. I'm not even sure it's true. But maybe if this was just a fun, fanciful little story and a little side hobby, I wouldn't care so much. It's my memoir of some of the deepest, darkest things that exist in America today. My story is dark and it is impacting the average citizen today. <laughs> it's a world. I'm shedding light. I'm turning a light switch in, on in a world that impacts the neighbors the people you live next door to that you have probably no clue what's going on behind closed doors. I'm opening the door and this is my name and I am Tia Levings and this is my story and that's my announcement and you'll be seeing that change happen. If you follow uh, the Working Writer Podcast on Instagram, you'll see both names. Now you'll understand why that was the switch. I didn't like marry someone else or um, I don't know any of those reasons why people change their names. I'm owning my name, I'm owning my story, and I am all of those things. I am a comp professional copywriter, Tia Levings. I am a fiction writer, Tia Levings. I am a memoirist, Tia Levings. I'm also a crazy wild redhead, Tia Levings. And um, that's it. That's the story, that's the announcement. And I hope it's been helpful. I hope, I hope some writer out there who's debating, I know this is a hot, go a hot Google topic, um, there's a lot out there on whether or not to use a pen name and also like the legal ramifications. There's some tax things you have to consider. Um, do you need a DBA or not? I had done all of that homework and research and I didn't, I didn't even realize the byline piece because I never dared dream the byline piece was possible. So I spent no time learning about that and it took having a coach that believes that's possible. For me to understand it and to hear about it so I would I would advise other writers think about it um, think about if you're limiting yourself in ways you don't even realize get other people's opinions pay for professional opinions it's worth it every single time I haven't regretted a single professional even the coach that I didn't jive with in the beginning I'm grateful for that experience it taught me a lot on what to look for for a coach. <laughs> and I've gotten some leverage and some mileage out of the story. Um, egg on my face, you know. I turned a crap project into her. She didn't know what to do with it. She wasn't that gracious in how she communicated that. That's going to happen. And I have thicker skin because of it. So, you know, I'm grateful. I'm grateful for that. Um, it's all useful to you someday. Everything you go through is useful. And it's all material. And as Nora Ephron said, everything is copy. So that goes for pen names and legal names and decisions and um, bends in the road, changes of direction. Um, next up, next up for my book is a July 5th deadline. I'm trying to cut 30,000 words. I'm not going to make it to 30. I'm probably going to make it to 20. Um, off the manuscript. It's too long. It's another thing that was holding it back. Another success blocker was length of manuscript. Certain genres have word count requirements and norms. 
And if you are outside of the norm, like 30,000 words over the norm, <laughs> that signals to an editor or a agent that you haven't completely done the work of your genre. And that isn't a comfortable thing to sit with after you do all this work for this many years, but it's absolutely true. I didn't, I didn't conform to the norm of my genre and it stuck out like a sore thumb. So we'll see. Maybe the third time is the charm because after this will be another round of revisions, edits, line edits, and then resubmissions with more agents. Um, and I'm just going to have to trust that all things happen in their time because this is a lot longer than I thought it was going to be. This, I thought this book would have been published and ready for whatever my second memoir is going to be um, already. And I guess maybe if I had rushed it through, um, it could have been. But that does not feel good. I don't want to send it out until it's as ready as it can be. It's that important to me. You don't get a second debut. You know, your debut is your debut. And when you tell your story and it's this kind of story and it's this important, you know, I, I want to tell it once and then move on to other projects. So I want to get it right, as right as it can be the first time. So there you go. There's the special episode of the Working Writer Podcast. I hope it was helpful. Please send me a note if it was or, you know, a comment on Instagram, Working Writer Podcast. We're on YouTube. I'm on YouTube. I keep using the we. I'm not a we. I'm just me. Tia Levings signing out. Right on, guys. <laughs>